Well, what's going on, 412 family? It's MA. Man, I hope you had a great week. Um, Just a little recap. Uh, Two weeks ago, we talked about the Trinity. We talked about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, how they all are God, and they all are one, but yet they are each unique in their roles in which they play in in our lives. Um, And so we talked about that. And then last week, we dove in specifically to God the Father and how He created everything, and He created everything with intentionality, and how He even created you and me in his image. And so we are image bearers of Christ. And so now this week, we're going to dive into man or us, mankind, and how he created us. But what happened and how we fell apart from God and all that, that's what we're diving into this week. So what I find interesting is if you open your Bible to the the beginning, the Genesis, uh, and you start going through the creation story, it literally starts in Genesis chapter 1. It is the first page of your Bible. Uh, You start going through the days in which God created. And it it says that God created all that we know, everything that is in, in the world and beyond the world and in the universe and beyond the universe and how far we don't know. I mean, there, I don't think our minds can comprehend, but he did all this in six days. And then on the seventh day, he rested. So like day one, God said, I'm, I'm going to summarize it all down, right? We're not going to have to read it all. I'm going to summarize it. But day one, it says, God said, let there be light. And then there was evening and morning on the first day. And God said, it was good. And then on day two, God separated the waters and called one section heaven. And he called the other section earth. And at the end of that day, he says, it was good. And then on day three, God made the earth sprout out vegetation, plants, trees, fruit. And at the end of that day, he said, it was good. And then on day four, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. And he placed them where they're supposed to be. He says, the sun is the rule over the day and the moon is the rule over the night. And at the end of day four, he said, it was good. And then on day five, God made the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves. And he said at the end of day five, it is good. And then on day six, God made man. He made male and he made female. And in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says, So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. But if you skip forward to the very end of day six, in verse 31 of chapter one of Genesis, it says this, And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. See, did you catch that? All the other days of creation, he said it was good. But after he created man, he said it was very good. See, we are special because we have been created in the image of God. Plants weren't created in the image of God. The fish and the creatures were not created in the image of God. But we, as man, were created in the image of God. And so God considers us very good. We are special to him and he loves us and he created us with intentionality and purpose. Scripture tells us he knows the very hairs on our head. But here's the problem. You don't go through Genesis very far. You actually get to Genesis chapter 3 and it starts off with the fall or when man disobeyed God's commands. See, if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, God was very clear to Adam and to Eve and gave them instructions. And in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says this, And the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, "You You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. See, God had given Adam this command. He said, look, you're going to be here. You're going to, you're going to tend the garden. You're going to work the garden. And you can eat of any tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so he gave, gave Adam this command. Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse, or Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, we see the fall. And it begins with the serpent or the devil coming in. And it says this in one, verses 1 through 7. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, this is the serpent saying to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will sure not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate of it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves linen cloths. So here's the thing I want you to get from this, all right? as far as the fall of mankind. Yes, the devil came and was very deceiving, but Look at the tactic the devil used. And this is very true in our lives today of how he comes at us. It says the devil, the devil questioned what God really said. See, that is his main tactic of deception. His main goal is to begin to make us question what God really said. You see in verse 1, he says, did God actually say? So we need to be careful of this. This is, this is a tactic of the devil he uses day in and day out in our lives today. He makes us question what God actually said. Now, I'm going to come back to this in just a minute. But next, I want you to look at what Eve said. See, Eve responded to the devil and said, Actually, God said, you shall not eat of it. And then she added something that God actually never said. She says, or touch it, lest you die. See, Eve is adding something to God's words that God never said. See, this is why for both accounts with the devil asking us to question God's word and, and Eve adding to God's word, this is why we must know God's word intimately. And we must daily get into his word and we must hold the Holy Bible as hard fact truth and we must know what it says and not someone's interpretation of the Bible. See, if we know the Bible, if we know it inside and out, then when the devil comes to deceive, we can say, no, no, no. This is what the Bible says. This is what he actually said. And then when somebody who proclaims to be a Christian or in good heartedness comes to us and adds something to scripture, adds something to God's word that is unbiblical, but it sounds good, we can say, actually, God didn't say that. You are adding that. This is why it is important that we know God's word and we hide it in our heart. So I get off that soapbox. Let's continue. So because man disobeyed or sinned, sinned against God, God drove them out of the garden and he gave Adam and Eve and gave mankind punishment. Now we read this in Genesis chapter 3 verses 16 through 19. And really it says that, uh, it says in verse 16, he's talking to the woman, he's talking to Eve. 
and he says to the woman, he said, I will put I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and shall and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I command you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for you, for out of it you were taken, for the, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so we see that God kicks Adam and Eve and mankind out of the garden, and and He says, "Woman, now that you've done this, you will labor in childbearing, uh, and man, you're going to labor in the field." It says that. From the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, and all the plants will, will bring forth thistles and thorns, and, and it shall be hard. And so there was punishment involved with disobeying God. But see, even though Adam and Eve disobeyed, even though Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God had to remove them from the garden, had to punish them for their sin, this did not change God's love toward us. It didn't change God's love toward Adam and Eve. It didn't change God's love toward mankind. See, if we know that God is sovereign and God is, is all-knowing and that He is past, present, and future, and, and again, He is unchanging, we know that He had a plan from the very beginning to rescue mankind from sin. Ephesians tells us from the foundations of the world He chose us. And so we know this not only because of those scriptures, but also John 3.16. God said, it says that God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, what we have to understand about God is that he was not sitting back going, man, it's getting out of control. I got to figure something out here. No, God has always been and will always be in control. And so from the very beginning, he had this redemption plan of sending Jesus to rescue us from our sin. But in order for us to be rescued, we must understand some absolute truths. And we find those in Romans, in Paul's writings to the Roman church. He starts off in Romans 3.23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So one truth that we have to automatically understand and, and grasp is we have all sinned. It wasn't just Adam and Eve that sinned. They brought sin into the world, but because of that, every single one of us is guilty of sin. There's no amount of good we can do to get to heaven. We have to acknowledge that we are sinners. We are depraved and, and we can't do anything on our own to save ourselves. We also have to understand the fact that in Romans 6.23, it says that for the wages of sin is death. That means the payment of our sin, the payment for the penalty of our sin is death. But here's the good news. It says that in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, even though we were sinners and we are sinners, and even though we deserve death, it says that God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners. See, there's no amount of cleaning up we can do or have to do in order to be saved by God. It, it just says, while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love by sending Jesus. All right? But here's the other fact we must understand. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul tells the church in Rome, he says this. He says, 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this, some of the simple facts we have to understand and comprehend and stand on with absolute truth is we have all sinned and the payment for our sin is death. But God demonstrates his love because he sent Jesus for us. Again, John 3, 16, he sent his son for us to die, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And then in Romans 10, 9, it comes to a head and says, we have to confess Jesus as Lord of our life and acknowledge that God raised him from the dead. And it says, you will be saved. Now, I want to be clear because I think this is a major misconception inside the church today. Parents, This is a major misconception inside our youth, inside of our adults. It has infiltrated the church in a mighty way, um, and we need to fight against this. I want to be clear. Acknowledging Jesus as Lord is not the same as confessing him as Lord, okay? See, acknowledging something is realizing the fact or importance of something. But see, even the demons acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They even acknowledge God being the creator. They acknowledge every facet of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They know his power. They even cower at his power. James 2.19 says, You believe God is one good for you, for even the demons believe and shudder. See, they acknowledge God for who he is. They acknowledge Jesus for who he is and what he did for us on the cross. And they acknowledge his power. But they do not confess him as Lord. There is a major difference. See, confession is a declaration of truth. It is a claim of personal acceptance of that truth. So a good analogy of that is, let's talk about a chair, a normal chair you sit in. You could stand there all day long and proclaim that and acknowledge that to be a chair. You can acknowledge the fact that it will hold you if you sit on it. But until you actually sit down in the chair, all you're doing is acknowledging. But by sitting in the chair, you are confessing your belief in that chair. And that is the difference, okay? But I think the modern American church has bought the lie that we just have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's why when you talk to people and you're like, hey, are you a Christian? They say, yes, I believe in God. Well, even the demons believe, as James 2.19 says. And it says that the demons don't just believe, they believe and shudder. And so... When Romans 10, 9, when Paul says, confess Jesus as Lord, this is literally us putting our entire life and control of our life and everything. We are surrendering it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not just acknowledging him as Lord and Savior. So parents, as you talk to your kids, as as you look at your own life, I want you to examine yourself. Paul says to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, he says, examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. This is something that I think we must do. And parents, we must do it for our children. We must ask them hard questions. We must continually test their faith. And that is is also helping them become disciples and, and building them in the sanctification process. It's allowing them to wrestle with hard things in scripture and with their faith. I think it is extremely biblical for us to test our faith because Paul tells us to do it. So here's my question. I'm going to end with this question. For parents, for kids, for grandparents, anybody listening to this, my question is this. This is a question for you to ponder and a question for y'all to discuss amongst your family while you're at dinner, while you're in the car, wherever. Here's the question. Have you truly confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? 
Or are you just like the demons and acknowledging him as Lord, but not willing to submit your life to his leadership? Are you standing, let's go back to the chair analogy, are you standing telling people the chair will hold your weight, but are you refusing to sit down and prove it? See, the call of the Christian, the call of Jesus in his redemption plan is that we confess Jesus as Lord. And that means literally surrendering all we have. Jesus himself said, deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Is that what we're doing? Or are we just standing there telling people, hey, look, there's Jesus. Yeah, he is the Lord, but I haven't surrendered my life to him yet. See, to truly be a Christian, to truly be saved, we must confess him as Lord, not just acknowledge him as Lord. I hope y'all have a great week. This is what we're discussing with your children tonight. Um, It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. Um, And I hope that this spurs conversations throughout your week. And uh, y'all have great, great biblical conversations with your children. Y'all have a great day. Stay humble. Stay focused. Keep pressing. We'll talk to you next week.